Well, I invite you to take your Bibles, if you have your Bible, and turn to Matthew chapter 1. If you don't, the kind of the important verses are on the outline, so I invite you to take the outline from the worship folder and uh, follow along. You know, if you have uh, children, you might remember uh, kind of talking with your spouse about uh, giving a name to your children. And you want to come up with the perfect name. And I think parents kind of need nine months to figure that out. So it's a good one that we have that time. But there's a little bit of pressure there because you you stick with that name for your lifetime. And so we know that's important. You know, in the New Testament Bible times, Old Testament times as well, a name was extremely important because they they really went by the meaning of that name. They lived by that. They wanted to live up to that meaning. Um, Jesus is known by, by many names, but we're going to look at one of those tonight. Um, and it's the name Emmanuel. Sometimes it's spelled with an E, sometimes with an I. There's those two different spellings. Um, over the last weeks, we've taken a look at the wise men and, and their response uh, to, to the Lord, lessons we could learn from them, and the message of the angels. Last Sunday, we looked at Joseph. And uh, today we want to look at Jesus and the name Emmanuel. Uh, We're so familiar with that name. We sing about it. We've sung about it tonight already. Uh, We read about it when we read the Christmas story. And a number of years ago, even our church decided to make that a part of our church name, uh, Emmanuel. Uh, So there's two passages we want to read. The first one is the prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7. So it's this, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then the second one is the fulfillment of that prophecy in uh, Matthew chapter one. The virgin, again, quoting Isaiah, will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, and this is the, uh, the, tr- the translation of the word for those who were not Hebrew, God with us. Um, so that's God's word for us. So you know, <clears throat> when someone dies, um, oftentimes the last words they say carry a lot of importance. Um, one man of God, a theologian and a pastor, uh, his name will be familiar to some of you, John Wesley, Uh, lived uh, a a life that was, uh, he walked with God, and you could tell that. And his his dying words uh, were, the best of all is God is with us. Uh, That's the truth. That's who God is, Emmanuel, God with us. Um, To focus on Emmanuel is what, I believe, made John Wesley such a, a great man. And my prayer is that we will all live, live lives focused on Emmanuel, uh, living a life for the kingdom of God, that our, our lives might be about seeking first God and his kingdom, uh, that, that we might rely completely on Christ. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, and you have this quote on your outline, uh, explains it this way. He said, uh, talking about Matthew one twenty three, we have the text put first in the Hebrew, Emmanuel, and afterwards it is translated into the Gentile tongue, God with us. 
being interpreted that we may know that we are invited, that we are welcome, that God has seen our necessities, our needs, and has provided for us. And that now we may freely come, even we who were sinners of the Gentiles and far off from God. As we read in this verse, this one word is actually three words for us as they're translated. In English, God with us. And each of those words is extremely important. And I want to look at these words, especially, of course, as they relate to Jesus. So the interpretation, God with us, is given for Emmanuel, uh, and this is on your outline, as a reminder that this Savior is not just the Savior for the Jewish people, but for us Gentiles as well, for all non-Jewish people, for the whole world. We are invited We are welcome. God has invited us. He's seen our needs and he has invited us in. He's invited you to be with him. The heart of Christianity is in this name. And the first part of it is that Jesus is God, the son. That's number one on your outline if you're taking notes. Jesus is God, the son. Emmanuel means God is with us. The message of Christmas is that God became a human being. And we see that message spoken over and over again in scripture. Uh, You have this on your outline. One scholar has found that as many as 574 verses in the Old Testament that somehow point to or describe or reference the coming Messiah. And all throughout the New Testament, we're told in a hundred different ways that Jesus Christ is God. Right here in Matthew chapter one, we've got it in the first chapter of the New Testament, in the verse 23. We could even say that Christianity only really makes sense if you see that Jesus is God. Uh, a key passage that I think of immediately when I think of, that, of, of this is John chapter one. Uh, verse one, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, speaking of Jesus. And then it says in verse 14, and the word became flesh and, and, and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And there are so many verses we could point to, but these are just a a couple of highlights that I think of. In the Apostle Paul, when he's preaching in Acts chapter 20, he says, care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So this is God, Paul calling God, calling Jesus God. And you remember in Mark chapter two, we've been going through the gospel of Mark. So this was probably sometime in February of this past, of of this year, uh, where, where Jesus says to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now think about the implications of that and what that means. If we have two guys here, John and Joe, and John punches Joe in the face, I can't go up to John and say, John, I forgive you. Who am I to forgive? I I didn't get punched in the face. 
Joe did. Joe is the one that needs to forgive John for punching him in the face. But if you think about what this implies about Jesus, if, if, if Jesus says to someone their sins are forgiven, it makes no sense unless it means, he means that every sin is ultimately against him because he's God. And so when John hits Jim, it's ultimately a sin against Jesus because he is the creator. And because Jesus is the creator, like we just read in John chapter one, Jesus owns us. And that's the only basis on which he could forgive sins because he's God. Another example is this, when someone gets on their knees to an angel or starts to worship an angel in scripture, what does the angel say? Get up. You can't worship me. I, I am just like you. I am a created being. I may be better than you. I may be more beautiful than you. But we are both created by God, so you can't worship me. But what happens when Thomas, in John chapter 20, falls down and says to, to Jesus, my Lord and my God? Jesus accepts it. Why does he accept worship like that? Because he's God. And he's due that worship. And so you have this on, on the outline if you're taking notes. Not only did Jesus claim this, but his followers believed it. And what's surprising about this is that the very last people in the world who would ever believe that a human being could be God was the first century Jew. These Jews believed in the God who's described in the Old Testament as a God who was the creator of the universe who had no beginning. And these Jews would have been the last people in the world who would ever believe that a human being could ever be God. And yet they did. They believed it. They believed that he was God. And, and maybe one of the most shocking things is that these were, were people who lived with Jesus. They saw him all the time. If I, not being God, was trying to convince people that I was God, I would not go to people that I lived with all the time. Because they know uh, my weaknesses. They know my sins. They know I'm not God. Uh, I remember talking to somebody one time who said that he had arrived at a place in his life where he was uh, now living as Adam was before he sinned that he never sinned. I was like, you know what, buddy? I want to talk to your wife. She's going to tell me the truth. That's not true. Um, but Jesus, the people that he lived with, believed that he was God. So what could have possibly led these Jewish people to believe that? They must have seen a life that was absolutely above reproach at the same time that he was making all of these particular claims about who he was. They must have seen that, uh, that there was this truth that he spoke and love that exuded from his life and a power and a tenderness like they'd never seen before. Jesus was perfect in every way. And the disciples saw this up close and personal. And they realized that they were looking at, at the very being of God through the filter of a human nature. And Jesus couldn't just be a great man because a great man would never say that he is God. 
he'd either be lying or he would be a little crazy or he is who he says he is. And his early disciples were so confident in who he was, that he was God the Son, that they were willing to die for him. So here's a question we need to ask at this time of the year. It's a perfect question. Have you, if, especially if, if you're not a Christian, have you ever wrestled with this question, is Jesus Christ God? Is he God the Son? That's what we say we believe as Christians. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Is Jesus really God? And if he is, are you willing to put your life on the line like his disciples put their lives on the line? If you haven't done that, uh, if you haven't considered whether Jesus Christ is God, I challenge you to do it. There's no better time to do it than at Christmas time when we celebrate the incarnation, God becoming man. The nature of truth is that truth is very narrow. Truth is very exclusive. And so when you think of, 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 of what truth is, I could say, for example, I could say, you know what? This, uh, this right here is a, a, a pot of flowers, that I have, uh, that I'm, I'm using right now as a, as a lectern. This is a pot of flowers. And you say, you know what, Kenny? I'm sorry, but that is not a pot of flowers. That is a music stand. And so, and it's nothing less than a music stand. It is only a music stand. And that's what we say when we're saying something is, is, is true. When I, you, you say that this is, a, if I say it's a music stand, you say, okay, oh, Kenny, that's true. I can buy that. I see that this is a music stand. Um, but the, very tr- the, the nature of truth is that it's very narrow. It's very exclusive. And in talking about who Jesus says he is, he said of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's a very exclusive claim. And, and that dispels the idea that there's one God, but many ways to get to God. So find your own religion, find your own way. They all lead to God. Jesus says that is not true. He says that any religion would work. There's, there's no other name under heaven. It says in Acts chapter four, given among men by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. Jesus said there's only one way to get to heaven. Only one way to have this one-on-one intimate relationship with God, and that is through Jesus. It's Christmas that is the reason for this exclusivity, because we're celebrating God becoming a man. Every other religion says that, if, that they can teach you how to be good. You can learn how to be good enough so that you can go to heaven. Uh, you can reach God on your own. The only way the Bible says to understand glad tidings of great joy is to understand that there's some bad news that makes the good news so good. And the bad news is Christianity comes along and says your sinfulness, that you're separated from God by, by, the, by your very sin nature, means that you are thoroughly corrupt and thoroughly sinful as a result of the fall. And that you will never be good enough. No one is ever good enough to reach God. 
on our own. In other words, you don't, don't just need a teacher to teach you the right way to get to God. You need God the Son. That's who you need, who came to die for you, who, to give you the, the Holy Spirit so that you have the power to live the Christian life. The only way to respond to that is to give God your complete trust. That's the only way to respond. If Christmas is true, then everything about Christianity makes sense. All of the the claims that Jesus made, all of the miracles that he did, the, the exclusivity, our need to completely trust Jesus. All of that makes sense when Christmas, when we believe that Christmas is true. That Jesus is God, the Son, and God becoming man. And so if he's God, how should that impact your life? How should that change your life? Maybe you need to remove the limits that you've put on him because you cannot put God in a box. You cannot say God can only work in this particular way and in no other way. Maybe there, you have problems in your life that you're trying to deal with. Maybe you have bad habits you're trying to get rid of or some issue that you're dealing with and you think it's, it, it's never gonna go away. It's going to be like this for the rest of your life. And if you're a Christian, here's the challenge, that to take seriously who Jesus is in your life, that he is God. And if you do that, if he is the God who created the universe, do you think that he might be able to help you conquer whatever it is in your life right now that you're dealing with? And the answer is, he absolutely can. Because he's God. He's Emmanuel. He is God with us. And the second thing on your outline is that he is God with us. That's the second word of that name, Emmanuel, God with us. You know, we live in a world of suffering. You might be going through suffering. You might know someone that's going through suffering and you think, why are we going through this suffering? Oh, I can tell you one thing. God said, I will join you in this world and I will go through this suffering with you. And so he sends Jesus to become a man and to die the most horrible death you can ever even imagine, a death on a cross where you basically drown in your own blood. It was a horrible death, but that's what Jesus went through for you so that you're not alone in your suffering. You're not alone in whatever it is you're going through in your life. With all of his majesty, with all of his glory, he chose to become a man so that he could could connect with us. He could know us. He could be the bridge between us and God, the mediator between God and man. You know, in the Old Testament, when God appears, it's terrifying. Do you remember the video of the shepherds around the fire that we saw, the first video? And that one shepherd is like, to me that describes the the terror that would be on the face when, when someone sees God or an angel or whatever. When, when God appeared to Job, it was in a whirlwind, in a tornado. Uh, when God appeared to Abraham, it was like a smoking furnace. When he appeared to Moses, it was a pillar of fire. 
And do you remember what God says to Moses? Moses wants to see God, and God basically says, you know, if you see me, you're going to die. So I'll let you see my afterglow. I'll let you see what it's like as soon as I leave the area. And that'll be as close as you can get without dying. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to encounter God like they did in the Old Testament. It's another thing to really know him through Jesus. And, and those things are completely separate. That's such a big difference. I, I read about a, a female opera singer who uh, really just loved and, and adored another opera singer who was better and well-known than she was. And, and she would see her. She read everything she could about her. She knew her life backwards and forwards. She had opportunities to meet her because she would see her in concert but never did. She even sang with her in choruses, in operas, but never had a chance to meet her, uh, or never met her. She had chances to meet her, but never did. And uh, she said that the one thing that kept her from doing that is the fear of her saying to this opera singer that she was such a big fan of, I am your biggest fan. I am so excited to meet you. I'm also an opera singer. And then what, what caused her fear was this famous opera singer saying to her, oh, you're an opera singer? Sing me something. That terrified her to the point where this lady became almost too distant from her. And she never ended up meeting her ever. You know, being a Christian is not just feeling close to God when you see a sunset. Being a Christian is not having an experience where you feel close to God or anywhere else or anything else it's that, 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 that may happen in you that makes you feel close to God. That's not what makes you a Christian. If Moses could, show, could have shown up in New Testament times, he, he'd be saying to us, you are given access to the very thing that I was denied, to the presence of God. Through Jesus, Moses would say, you can know God intimately on a level that I never could. And without terror, without being so, uh, 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 so terrorized, he can come into your life, Moses would say. And he would say, don't miss this opportunity. It's an unbelievable opportunity. Don't miss being able to know God in that way. And what, do you remember the story that we looked at last Sunday that I talked about? This French tightrope walker with a tightrope spread between Canada and the United States. And he walked 1,100 feet across Niagara Falls. And, and he had on his back his, this one man. He had all these people that believed he could go across with someone on his back. But only one person got on his back and walked across with him. And we said that was what true belief is. It's not just saying, yes, we believe intellectually uh, who Jesus is. It's no, I'm going to get on his back. I'm going to trust him 100% as he takes me across Niagara Falls. So what gets on his back? Our guilt gets on his back. Our sin gets on his back. We trust Christ completely with, with our lives. That's the real intimate kind of relationship we get to have, we can have, we have access to have through Jesus.
with God. Martin Luther is one of my heroes. I love Martin Luther. And he was very religious for many years. He taught in a seminary. He taught the book of Romans in a seminary before he was a Christian. He used to go to church every Sunday. He would take communion all the time. And he was not a Christian. And he writes this, Martin Luther does. He says, one day I was studying Romans 1.17 that says the just shall live by faith. And I realized all along I'd been trying to earn my own righteousness and be good on my own merits. And I suddenly realized that in Jesus Christ, he came and he died for me to fulfill all the requirements. And therefore, the righteousness I needed to be acceptable with God was something I had to receive as a gift. And Luther says, at that moment, I felt I was ushered through open gates into paradise. That was the moment that he became born again, that he became a Christian. Years after he thought he was a Christian, he saw the love of God and he saw the grace of God in Jesus. Jesus shows up at Christmas as a baby, not like a pillar of fire, not like a tornado. He comes to us as a baby at Christmas. You know, my, um, my, my son and my daughter-in-law are here with our two grandkids, and uh, it's really fun. They're two and a half years old and, and five months old, and it's really fun to hold them and uh, read to them and snuggle with them. I have four adult kids. I remember when my kids got to be about four or five, year old, four or five years old, they didn't snuggle as much as they did when they were just babies. Uh, they kind of became a little bit independent. They had their own agenda of what they wanted to do. And, um, you know, why would Jesus come to earth as a baby? Well, he came as a child to make himself completely vulnerable. When we think about the distance that, that Jesus had to come from heaven with all of his glory and the presence of the Father to earth... I heard someone say that if, if we wanted to become an ant and, and rebuild an anthill and get to, the distance that God traveled to earth is infinitely beyond that. And we couldn't even imagine that. And so when he became, he put, put out all this effort that God put out to, to, to come for us to be able to receive as a free gift the salvation that he brings. But once we receive that, we have a responsibility to grow as well. And that takes a little effort on our part. It's a free gift that's given to us. But once that gift, once we have that gift, we need, we need to grow. And we need to get to know God. How do we get to know him? We spend time in his word. We, we, we talk to him in, in prayer. But it takes a little effort on our part. And so what is the effort that you are putting in right now to be with him. It, it can't compare to the effort that he put in to be with you. What's keeping you from being close to God? 
Because I believe that you are as close to God as you want to be. And this is on your outline if you're taking notes. It's not just about head knowledge. It's about these things being a reality in your life. And so is it lack of discipline for you? Maybe it is. Are you too busy? Does something in your life need to be eliminated so that you can spend time with God on a daily basis? You know, if you find yourself saying, I wish I had more time for prayer. I wish I had more time to be in the word. What you mean is it's going to cost you something. Whatever it might cost you, it's nothing compared to what it costs God. So why in the world can't you maybe get up a little earlier to spend a little time with God? I know that when I spend time with him, I get to see things, it, makes, it helps me to see my life, what I'm going through from, I, I think, a, a more godly perspective, a divine perspective. If wisdom is seeing life from God's point of view, uh, th- that's what happens when I spend time alone with God. I, I get filled up. You know, Jesus said, blessed is the man who, the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for they will be filled. When I spend time with God, I, it's like I'm filled up. Again, it's nothing like what it cost him. And so get with him. Spend time with him. Because he came at Christmas to break down the barriers between you and God. And then finally, Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. So God is with us all in a general sense because he created us. But specifically, this is about the narrowness that people hate about Christianity. It doesn't say God with all. It says God with us. And so who is the us refer to? It's, it's not the group of people that make the fewest mistakes in the world. It's, it's not those who are the most religious because religion is really just man's attempt to reach God. Jesus is God's attempt to reach us. So that's what we're talking about. But who has God come to be with? Well, we have hints in the Christmas story. He's with the shepherds. He's with, and they were the most like despised people ever. The wise men who were not welcome in in Jerusalem. They were foreigners. They were of, of another religion, but they come seeking Jesus. And so there's a humility that that's the common denominator between them is humility. He comes for the humble. We have to humble ourselves before God when we come to him. And this is a message, and this is on your outline. Again, if you're taking notes, this is a message of grace. It's something we don't deserve at all. You know, if we're applying for a job, we want to come up with the perfect resume. We want to have everything down there that's going to make us as appealing as as we possibly can be to the person that we want to have hire us. You could have the best resume in the world to present to God. And if you try to do that, you know what will happen? You will be turned away. 
Do you know what God wants? What God wants is he wants people who say, I have no references. I have nothing. I deserve zilch from you. You have no reason to accept me. It's only by the grace of God through Jesus. It's because of what you've done on my behalf. Because I'm the one that deserved to be punished. But you took my punishment on the cross. And we want to give God our resumes. We want to try to prove we're worthy. And we say, Lord, I've had a hard life. I've responded pretty well to the hard life that I've had. I've done this and I've done that. And for sure what I've done is better than most people I know. I know that I'm better than most people I know. So you must let me into heaven. That's what we say to God. We bring our resume. I love what pastor and author John Stott wrote. It's on your outline. He said, anybody who ever met Jesus Christ only ever had three responses to him. What's yours? They were either terrified and wanted to run away or they hated him and wanted to kill him and stone him to death. Or they worshiped him and got down on their knees and gave him everything. So do you know what you cannot say to God? What you cannot say to God is, well, Jesus is definitely a very interesting person. And I'd like to know him better. He's done some things that I for sure could use in my life. And at least I need to make a little more room for him in my life. No. The only rational response to Jesus as God with us, as Emmanuel, and this is on your outline, is to give him everything. It's to give him everything. No other response is reasonable. You give yourself totally to him, willingly now, or you will bow the knee at one point because Jesus, this baby, became a king. And God elevated him to a place of highest honor, the apostle Paul writes, and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so he's God. He is God with us. And he is God with us with us. He is Emmanuel. Please think about that. Let's pray together. Father, you are Emmanuel. That's who Jesus is. And now we need to ask ourselves the question, is he Emmanuel for us? Father, we hear these words so often. We say the word every time we talk about this church, Emmanuel. Lord, would you make the name of Jesus come alive for us? Make it new to us. 
And as we think right now about how we limit your power in our lives, how we fail to appropriate your power, Lord, will you bring your power into our lives so we would live by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that every one of us here would allow this truth to sink into our lives so that we can worship you and know the joy of those who submit completely to your will. Father, if there's anyone, and I believe there is, that you're drawing closer to yourself right now, may they simply respond in faith to you. I pray that you would give all of us the joy and the courage and the confidence and the, and the delight and the love that comes from knowing and making these things real in our lives. And we ask this in the strong and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, of the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him, all glory to him forever and ever. Amen. God bless you and Merry Christmas.